This is the Church Planning Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Every week we sit down with leaders who are shaping church planning efforts. Here's your host, Colby Garman and Clint Clifton. Hey, welcome to the Church Planning Podcast. My name's Clint Clifton, and I'm with my son, Noah Clifton, today. Hi. I'm starting to make a regular appearance on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, you are. I like having you around. Yeah. I'm just Colby's backup, I guess. You're the backup plan. Yeah. Hey, but you know what? Being a backup plan's not so bad Hey, everybody needs backup. Everybody needs backup. Uh, Well, this summer, you are serving as a summer intern, which is the lowliest position we have at Pillar Church. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, except for pastor, which of course is like the chief servant. We serve <laughs> all, right? But you are in the lowliest position. How's it feel to be in the lowliest position of a church you help to plant? Uh, I mean, for me, I just see it as another way to serve the church. And it helps me get experience in ministry, like uh, like firsthand experience, I guess is the term. It should. And uh, I get to learn and watch Colby closely and how he does a lot of things. Yeah. So that's been helpful. Yeah. Uh, I understand. I heard through the grapevine or maybe I heard from you some, some way I heard that you are actually doing some sermon research for Colby. Is that right? Yes. He wants me to every Sunday or every week research the passage that he's preaching on on Sunday and send him notes on it. My thoughts and applications for it have you ever seen anything you wrote down show up in a sermon yes the first one i did he uh i actually couldn't go to church that sunday because we were being quarantined but i'd send him my notes like friday and on sunday when i was watching the live stream he said something and i like jumped out of my seat i was like I said that. Uh, I wrote that down. I said that. <laughs> and did he cite you? No, he didn't. But uh, I don't know if he already come up with the idea or if I just gave him the idea. But it was he took my idea and then he expanded he, on it. He a little made bit. it better. So yeah, it was yeah. yeah, it was cool. I kind of like sat up and I was like, I told him to say that. It was it was pretty cool. <laughs> that's a cool experience. And you're 19. So that's that's awesome experience to be able to do that. Um, okay, cool. Well, your main role in um, summer internship is to. Uh, oh, we're out on the porch, so there's some <laughs> there's some background noise. Sorry about that. <laughs> um, uh, so your main role in um, this the summer internship is to oversee summer outreach initiatives. Yes, I am the outreach director or director of outreach for the summer. Yeah, and outreach just means getting. D- Having events that the community can be reached. Yeah. And you're doing things like door-to-door evangelism. Door-to-door evangelism. Uh, Jared Huntley, who was on a couple, almost months ago now, I guess. Yeah. He, Him and Daniel Corder have both been uh, helpful in teaching me a lot about evangelism. And so actually when I was out in 29 Palms, I was with Jared Huntley. And we were talking about it. And I was asking him a lot of questions. And he was like, I think my podcast on your dad's podcast comes out tomorrow and I talk about this and answer a lot of the questions you're asking. You should just go listen to it. Yeah. So I did. It was kind of cool timing how that worked out, Yeah. but they have been very helpful and encouraging and helping me lead the efforts at Dumfries mm-hmm. to get that kickstarted. Yeah. 
Cool. And you're also doing events, like you said. Um, what's the biggest event you got going on? Right now it's our summer kids sports camp. So we got that coming up mid-July. And so that is I'm taking a lot of planning. I'm, I'm kind of running point on it, but Cody Davis, who's the pastoral assistant at Dumfries, has been help. He's kind of running point on that, too. Yeah, he's kind of overseeing your work. Yeah. Yeah. And um, and the summer sports camp. What would you imagine? You got you got two locations, so you're doing it uh, on both sides of the base, the north mm-hmm. side of the base and the south side of the base. Yep. And you'll have what do you think? A couple hundred kids. Yes, hopefully around 200 kids. Yeah, and you'll serve uh, you'll serve them by offering sports training. Yep, free sports camps, which is we'll do uh we'll do like a sport skills and drills where they're learning about the specific sport they signed up for whether it's soccer football baseball slash softball basketball basketball at one camp and then volleyball at another camp mm-hmm. so that's cool and then we also are just gonna have like fun games like uh, sideline soccer kickball dodgeball those kind of stuff and then we'll have like a Devo time where we get to share the gospel with the kids. Yeah, cool. Okay, awesome. And uh, we've done that for a few years, and you've been involved. Yeah, I think this is like close to year 10 Yeah, of doing it. We've seen quite a bit of fruit out of it, too. I uh, think. It was yeah. funny. Uh, Moses, your youngest son, my younger brother, was uh, too young to do anything in the camp when it first started. And now he's too old for the camp and volunteering at the camp this summer. So it's a, it was weird when he said, uh, what do you want me to help volunteer with? And I was like, no, you're going to be in the – no, I guess you're a little old now. So it was yeah. it was a weird mix of, oh, he's used to be too young to go to camp. Now he's too old to go to camp. Yeah. Now, one thing about the summer internship thing, we've seen a bunch of people come through to do the summer internship your whole life since you mm-hmm. were a little guy. You were watching summer interns coming yep. in every summer. Some of them lived with us, mm-hmm. but we got to know all of them really well during the summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, how'd that, what kind of effect that have on you watching those guys and making friendships with them? Uh, I mean, they were always like the cool kids, so which I guess it's kind of weird saying the intern's the cool kid, but... Uh, it, yeah, they were always the cool kids growing up. So yeah, somebody to look up to. Yeah, there was somebody to look up to, somebody new who was at all the events we were having to be at anyways and always helping volunteering. Yeah. Or we were always helping volunteering too. So it was just somebody we saw a lot that summer and got close to a lot too. It was all, They were always like cool people to hang around. Yeah. So, uh, we had uh, some of those people are now adults and church planners and in mm-hmm. our ministry with yeah. us in various places. So it's been really cool to see that happen. So. Today we're going to talk to Lori Francis, and Lori's the director of Sending at the Summit Church, which you're probably familiar with the Summit because their pastor, J.D. Greer, is a beast. I mean, he's doing all kinds of incredible stuff. He's written an amazing book, probably the best church planning book, uh, hands down, called Gaining by Losing. If you are, if you consider yourself a person who's interested in church planting and you don't know that book or haven't read that book, you are really missing out so go pick up gaining by losing losing anywhere books are sold and you will be really glad that you did but Lori francis is the director of sending at summit church and so Lori um is it's it's sort of unusual i mean you've been around a lot of churches i of course have too it's pretty unusual to see a woman uh, serving in a role like that mm-hmm. um and yeah i mean the only two i can think of are her and then your sister my aunt out in Kentucky, yeah. she's the 
director of missions at her church too yeah she is yeah i it was funny i was we were talking earlier i was like yeah i don't even know another woman who does this and and you were like yeah your sister does this yeah i was like wow yeah i can't even believe i realized that and you know thinking about that my sister's been passionate about global missions the Mm -hmm. whole time she's been a christian uh her name's sean and she's 10 years older than me and she's she's man i mean it's hard to separate how much of my love for spreading the gospel and global missions um, comes from her because she was an influence in my life. And she, I mean, from the early days of being a Christian, she was heading out to the nations and doing outreach in her communities. It's been part of the fabric of her life for a long time. Yeah. That's been like all of growing up, like we've been doing this pillar stuff and aunt Sean has been doing like, she's always going on mission trips. She's always, doing something with global mission so it's cool just like it's cool that now that's like her job yeah that's her job yeah she's got it's pretty pretty good sized church out in kentucky and uh owensboro kentucky and she's leading all the the missions efforts as well as doing some other things at that church but i'm really proud of her and thankful for her so shout out to aunt sean yes uh, shout out aunt sean yeah for being a trendsetter uh a woman leading a missions department at a at a at a really uh significant church and as um, just the same way our guest today, Lori, is is doing the same thing uh, at Summit Church. So Lori's really bright. You're going to see that. She has a background in corporate America, so she's done a lot of work um, outside the church, but also uh, on the mission field and um, for the past few years leading the sending efforts of, of Summit. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Summit is they have a goal, what I think of as a huge hairy audacious goal to plant a thousand churches in this generation and what qualifies as this generation good question Lori's actually going to answer that in the podcast so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna have to listen to it you gotta listen to it i'm not gonna steal the thunder uh yeah that's a great question but but um they are aiming to do that and they are ahead of schedule i will say um so lots of cool stuff coming out of this episode a church that takes church planning really seriously and does it on a really large scale so i'm really grateful for this i hope the the uh, interview benefits and inspires you now some churches uh, don't have anyone designated in the role of sending and those are normally the churches that are not sending man you're a smart kid um that is true uh so at pillar we designated somebody for sending what, what did that that's look like you. <laughs> it's me right? when colby came on staff you got a job at the north american mission board and your role at pillar changed from lead pastor to co-pastor but with the uh, intention of your job description you were more focused on missions and church planning and colby was more focused on like shepherding the flock yeah that's that's right so interesting note one thing inaccurate about what you said that's a that's an important point is that um i was leading the church for the first seven years of the church's life. And then I shifted over to multiplication or sending role. And then, and Colby came on. And then a year later, after that had been done and settled, we decided to do that. I started working with the North American mm-hmm. Mission Board. Um, and I bring that out because, uh, not just to correct you, although I do like to correct you, but uh, but because it's important to note that our church made that shift without any of the influence of having some kind of other work. Um, and, and really the only reason I was able to go and work with the mission board is because it, it accentuated my role as yeah. a sender at, at, uh, at Pillar Dumfries. So, 
uh, that's really important. And our church has been wildly fruitful since then um, in church planning, not just because of me, but because somebody's full-time attention is on development and multiplication. We started a residency mm-hmm. about that same time. It's, that's developed a whole bunch of church planters. We've started several church planning networks since then, including new city church planning network that spot podcast uh, or sponsors this podcast and Praetorian project and the Iceland project. And so much fruit has come out of that. Um, just since we designated somebody to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So, The moral of the story is if you're listening to this podcast and you are leading a church and you want your church to multiply and you don't have anybody who's significant in leadership and empowered to lead the sending efforts of your church, you're probably not going to be very fruitful at it until you do. Oh, get somebody in that role. Yep. Get somebody there. All right. All right. Well, we're going to hear a word from our sponsor and then we're going to shift over over to this interview with the incredible Lori Francis. Hey, are you a pastor that wants to lead your church to reproduce? Well, I've got something for you. It's called Church Planting Thresholds. Church Planting Thresholds is a simple step-by-step gospel-centered guide that will help you guide uh, someone from your congregation to lead a church planting team out somewhere else. Many pastors tell me that they don't have the expertise, they don't have the money, they don't have the resources they need to start a new church. Well, I don't think that's true. The only resource you need to start a new church is a ready leader. So even if your church is very small and you don't have a lot of resources at your disposal, if you can disciple a man to lead a team of people out from your church to start another new church, then you have all that you need to reproduce. Church Planning Thresholds will help you do it. Church Planning Thresholds is available in English and in Spanish. It's even available as an audiobook. You can find it at Amazon or on audible.com. Lori, hi, welcome to the Church Planning Podcast. Hi, how are you doing? I'm very good. I'm really glad that you're here. Uh, today, we are going to talk about sending, uh, sending people to spread the message uh, of the gospel. And you are at a, a church that we all admire and think a lot of at the summit. Um, so can you tell us about your relationship with Summit and how you uh, got into the role of uh, sending there? Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so I currently serve as the director of sending at Summit, um, which I have to enunciate the D or it always sounds like director of sending. And I, I yeah. don't want that uh, that role. Um, yeah, so I've been at Summit since 2008 and I actually got saved there and um, went on uh, with a church plant for a couple of years overseas. Um, I took my job overseas. I was working for a consulting firm and then uh, came back in 2018 into this role. And it has been my favorite job that I've ever done. I can't I, like it's it's actually crazy that we get to do this kind of stuff for our job. You know, I think I think about that a lot, I, uh, especially because I live in the D.C. area and al- almost everybody in my church gets up really early. They get on the highway, they drive sure. to a job they really don't like that much. And they drive back in terrible traffic. And I just think, man, what a privilege that we get to do this. It's incredible. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, uh, so Summit, um, you know, there's a lot of lore around Summit from, from in the missions world and from my perspective, especially in church planting. Um, and uh, it just about the, the, you know, the intensity with which they've planted churches. So Summit has, uh, I remember, a long time ago, hearing Summit's goal related to church planting. Um, t- talk to me about that goal and where the church stands on that now. Sure, absolutely. So, you know, in 20, or 2008, 
we, um, you know, from the decided that we um, felt like the Lord is leading us to plant a thousand churches in a generation. You know, my job is to clarify what the generation is. And so by 2050, you know, we want to see a thousand churches. And by his grace right now, um, we have 460 churches planted um, both in North America and around the world um, through our partners. And it's just, yeah, it is happening a lot faster and a lot you know, and that's just God's style, right? Like he always takes our, like what we can imagine, what we can pray for. And, and he just shows us that he can do more with that than we can expect. Yeah. Uh, a thousand churches sounds, sounds crazy uh, <laughs> to a person who's spending every day trying to start churches. So talk to me. I know every church I talk to, I talk to some churches and they say they planted a church if they uh, gave $10 to it or prayed for it in a worship service. And some churches say that they only say they planted a church if they like raised up the leader from within and sent them out and with a bunch of people and that kind of thing. So what, what do you, how do you qualify? We planted a church. Sure. That's a, that's a great question. I get it a lot. Um, so right now, um, international churches, we're at about 385 and North American church plants uh, at about 75 of that 460. And, you know, our North American church plants, those are ones that where our, the guys come into a residency program, they're trained up, sent out by uh, Summit and you, maybe even a partner church alongside of that, which that's been super fun when we can partner up with other churches and do it together. Um, we planted one in London last year that just saw, or two years ago actually now, that it was we did it with a church up the road, Providence Baptist. And it was just awesome to see people from like multiple congregations, you know, stepping up and going. And it just like that, it, the fever caught. And, you know, for our international church plants, that's been a lot of fun. Um, we right now, you know, I think over time have had about uh, 630 plus people on the field, both active and returned. Well, of that, we often keep in touch with those um, missionaries, especially the active ones right now that have planted churches, that have planted churches, that have planted churches because they've been there for a long time. Our longest uh, missionary on the field right now is I think at 21 years. And so just to be able to talk to him and see the way he's training church planners being very intentional and um, which that's been pretty neat because they're in South Africa and they're sending church planters into Sub-Saharan Africa which will have the largest cities in the world by 2050. So it's like a preemptive strike, like getting God's church there at a time when their largest populations in the world are going to be there. And we need to be strategic about the way we think about, which that's what I love about NAM is that they look at cities and they say, hey, these are the growing cities. We need to have church plants in those places. So yeah, our partnership's been great with you guys. That's, that's great. So the, um, you mentioned London, that's Thomas West, I'm assuming, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, yeah those guys are great. I've kept up with them. Actually, Thomas has been on the podcast too. Um, oh, awesome. But, but um, yeah, so a, a plant like that, what what role, because Thomas uh, Thomas didn't, uh, I don't know, was he ever a member at, um, at Summit? He was a member at Providence, but he came wow. over to the residency. Um, so we hold our residency once a month. And so he would come and get trained by the, you know, summit residency staff. And then, uh, which that's, that's always fun. We try to keep the, you know, group a little bit smaller, usually around five, I think this year it's seven that we're looking at, but um, those guys really get to know each other, but it, 
it created an even closer working relationship because when we were doing things like a vision trip or anything like that, it was both Summit and Providence going together on those things and saying, I remember walking the city and just praying and saying, God, is this a place that you want to pour out your spirit? And it was, it was just it, watching that come to fruition and even his faithfulness to a new church plant during COVID, like in a for, like in a foreign city, like it was so incredible. So that's been a joy. Yeah, he is a joy. He, uh, every time I talk to him, he's so uh, upbeat and encouraged. And most of the church planners that got on the field right before or, or just in the beginning of COVID were, you know, they were like, they got dealt a bad hand. You know, they were upset, but Thomas, yeah. Thomas uh, always had an optimistic outlook. And he's done yeah, it. yeah, for sure. Um, so, okay. So uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about today, um, and I don't want to make the the, the topic too awkward but you're uh, as a female it's very you're uh it's not usual for a woman to be in a role like you're in sure. uh, i think a lot of us would love to see a lot more of that going on um and so can you talk to me about uh, how summit processed that i'm assuming you're a complementarian yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's a pretty safe assumption i think since you're uh, yeah the juror pastor is the president of the SBC, but, yeah. uh, but um, so talk to me about how, how you guys navigated that decision, how you processed that decision. Cause a lot of what you're doing is helping to uh, equip, you know, male pastors who are going out. Sure. So, so sure. talk about what this looks like. Yeah. It's um, you know, it's a question I get a lot and I love talking about it because um, I have witnessed uh, the, the display of the priesthood of all believers and what that is, what that looks like to work together. And um, I think many times in our complementarian churches, and you, you said it, I'm unashamedly complementarian. We don't always realize the limiting language that we can use around. Like, for, I'll give you a perfect example. I just saw it yesterday. Uh, this article that was written about pastor, like it was like, dear pastors, this is how to rest. And I was like, well, why would you want just the pastors resting? Like, wouldn't you want both men and women resting? So yeah. that way we can build up each other in the Lord and, and actually like carry the weight for each other. Right. And so sometimes we don't realize the limiting language, but, you know, I had a really good experience where I had um, men, pastors at our church and women that just pulled me aside and I didn't feel naturally gifted in women's or children's ministry and I say that loving the women that are in that because my mom's a children's ministry director and you know it wasn't where I felt like God was quite he had given me this heartbeat for missions and I remember getting saved and I was just inhaling material about the the unreached and about cities that um, across America what's happening in the northwest what's happening you know in the northeast and 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 across the world, places that do not have access to resources. And it was just heartbreaking. And I had men and women that pulled me aside and they said, hey, we think you're actually um, called to work in this arena and not just work. You're a teacher by nature. And so, you know, use that gifting. And, you know, I, it's, it's, is it complicated? Yeah, it took a lot of prayer of us sitting back, praying, fasting, asking God, what are the lines? How do we set this up? Like, how do we set up our current church staffing to respect um, the complementary views that we hold? Yeah. And, um, you know, a lot of times, a lot of the women that we're talking to 
uh, on staff, they actually don't want to be in the pulpit on Sunday morning. Right, we right. have this like large assumption that they want to. They just want to see other leadership trajectories that are available. And so watching Summit open up positions like director of sending, like director of operations, finance director, like all of those things and seeing women hold those positions has been such a like a display of the priesthood of all believers. Like we really like carry the load together and that's been a beautiful thing. Yeah. So what are some ways that maybe JD specifically um, helped to embolden you for that? Cause I imagine there's a little, I, I mean, maybe the culture of summit is such that you weren't ever fearful of what that would look like. Uh, but is there anything that uh, the JD or the leadership did specifically to make the culture of the church feel like that was an acceptable path? Yeah. So um, the one thing that um, we did together is when we were writing, um, we have a position paper called One in Christ, and it is about the role of women in ministry. And I'm telling you, it was the hardest paper I think we've ever all worked on. And then, you know, submitting it up to the directional elders. It's not usually the theology. It's usually the application of it. That's the hard part, right? right. And so um, it, writing that paper and feeling like I had a voice to say like, hey, this is what I read. When I see Paul write his letter at the end of Romans, and I see how many women are included, like nine women are included in that last chapter where he says, give greetings to, I saw, I saw him displaying men and women working together. And, you know, um, I had, it, you don't just see it with women. You also kind of see it with singles and marrieds. We can use limiting language there too. And, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, Matthew 28, the great commission applies to all believers, every single believer, not optional. It is a must for believers it's commandment go and make disciples. It doesn't say men go and do this. It doesn't say marrieds go and do this and you'll do it better. It says every believer, you have this in you, go and make disciples of all nations and he will be with us. And so I think that, um, you know, through that paper, looking at our current church staffing, we literally looked at every position, hmm. every single position on the roster and said, does this have to be held by an elder or a pastor? And if it didn't, but, you know, and, and I'm telling you, it was some conversations because tradition really is a weighty thing in the Baptist church. Well, in any denomination, but tradition is a lot of times what we um, don't realize that we're fighting against. Yeah. So we have to say, okay, am I holding this because it has to be held by pastor elder? Am I holding this because it has to be held, uh, you know, by tradition? And so when we really tease that out and pressed on that, we found that there was a lot more things that women could be doing to flourish and utilize their giftings, yeah. you know, of, of teaching, of praying, of um, operation, like all of those things. It was beautiful. And, you know, JD was very um, intentional to say, you know, you have weight around this topic. Like you have, um, you have an opinion that matters around this topic and you need to be speaking to it. And like, sometimes I would, you know, even step back and feel like, am I sure that I should be? And, you know, the Lord is like, no, I've called you to get, like, you're, you're emboldening others to get really excited about this. Yeah. So you, you know, step into that and utilize it. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Uh, I think, I mean, JD has been a, uh, you know, a trendsetter in a, lot, in a lot of ways around the missions, in the missions world, but this is one way in which I think 
I think 15 years from now, the churches that hold to complementarianism and are conservative, this will be a more normal thing. Uh, I hope it will be a more normal thing. I definitely feel the weight of the trajectory headed that way. Sure. I, I'm just well, encouraged by his boldness. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of the things, I, I'll give you an example. Let me, um, so we have right now, I think 296 people overseas on the field. So about three, so say about 300. And um, of that, 60% are married, yeah. 35% are single women and 5% are single men. Now, I'm not going to go into the single men part. Uh, you know, I think we, we got to get our guys to step up. But like, the state, like, just look at those statistics alone at how many women make a, are, are part of that statistic. Yeah. And we need that opinion at the tables then for our strategy. And for our, uh, for our vision, like we need to be hearing about what's going on in those places, they need to be at the table. Yeah. And so if we're really wanting to get an all-encompassing view of what's actually happening. Yeah. Now you've, uh, you, as you guys have sent out uh, church line teams, maybe particularly in North America, um, yeah. how have you seen those teams uh, involve, incorporate women onto those planting teams in ways that are meaningful? Yeah, for sure. It, it, you know, it's something that we actually um, train on in residency is, how to it, it i'll tell you in north america this has been really awesome to see is even having or say say take lead, lead church planner helping him and his wife a lot of times he's married um him and his wife see that you know hey you're probably gonna have some women um on your church plant um let me build out a vision of the godly family versus the nuclear family because the godly family is eternal and the nuclear family is passing away. And so you've got to think about that in your own, um, whenever it get, comes, like you all go sit out on this church plant together and say holidays come, invite those people into your home, invite those women into your home, because that is how we can, but also like showing them the debt, like the need to have women at those, in those conversations and getting those opinions, because at the end of the day, their churches are going to be made up of half women, if not more. And so, I mean, I'll give you an example. JD sends a sermon over a lot of times and just has me look over it, add missional application, but it's also for the purpose of saying like, Hey, uh, this is how I think women are going to probably take that. So, you know, we might want to tweak it like that, or, you know, that sounds awesome. That's really empowering to women. And um, do it in a way that, you know, he gets the ultimate call on those things. But um, it's really, it's really been awesome to see our church planners grow in that area as they send out teams that are full of women. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems like there's like this, been this mentality from when I planted, you know, 16, 17 years ago. And when I planted, it was, it was like, we don't really know what to do do with the women who are around us we're desperate for help and these competent godly wonderful women are standing by saying i want to help and i you know we don't know how to how to utilize them other than saying we really need a children's ministry director and i'm pretty sure you can do that because i've seen other churches do that i just it just takes a little boldness to say you know there's nothing scripturally prohibitive about this uh and and actually you know it's probably it's it not only is there not anything scripturally prohibitive about it, we actually see it modeled in the in the New Testament. We should right. look for ways to press into that, even if it's not the norm of what's going on around us. Right. 
Well, I heard uh, Jen Wilkin recently say, you know, if, if a young man of obvious ministry ability and gifting shows up on the doorstep of your church, who would you put him in contact with? How would you help him find his place in ministry? What opportunities would you seek out for him to cultivate his gifts and gain ministry experience? What hopes for, do you have for him as a leader? And now ask yourself the same questions for a woman. If the fact that she'll never fill the pulpit means you cannot imagine a leadership trajectory for her or a ministry trajectory, something's wrong. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so helpful. That's like very practical. Yeah, it really is. It really is. Jen was also on the podcast and we talked about that very issue. This is probably the only other person I've talked about this with on the podcast was Jen. I love it. She is so yeah. and so bold. If you if you are interested in this conversation, go back and find the one yeah. where she talks Absolutely. about it. She really, um, she, she really, she's gotten so comfortable and bold in her, in her convictions on this that she speaks with a ton of clarity on it. And sure. so I, I too, when, um, you know, I look back to my early church planning days and, and I, I've been, uh, encouraging people to try to find specific roles on the church planning team that actually maybe even a, a woman is more suited for or better suited for, uh, not just because she's a woman, a woman, but uh, just sort of the gifts and temperaments of women seem to be more, they more likely have those gifts. Um, and uh, one of the things that's been like really meaningful, and we're, we're all, but we really encourage our church planners from our church to, to do this is to have um, um, a, a female disciple maker, like specifically there for making disciples of, of, sure. of other women specifically, because the, one of the common things that happens when church planners go out is you know say it's a church planner and his wife and there's some kids involved usually um and they go out and try to plant and the the, the planter pastor the one who's doing the primary engagement disciple making isn't really it's not really cool for them to sit down at a coffee shop or in a one-on-one -on -one meeting with a, another single woman we're working on these urban areas but almost tons of people are single and we're aiming at young folks and so uh, I know in our church plant journey, we had a gal who was really dedicated to discipleship and she was, uh, to say she was a meaningful part of the team would be an understatement. Like she was, mm, she was awesome. seriously producing on the discipleship front in a way that was challenging to, to the men. And so I just feel like find, finding somebody that's specifically designated for going out there, connecting with, uh, with young single female women and discipling them is that was a huge part of our growth in, in women in our church plant. I just, it's awesome. I feel like naming a few ways in which not children's ministry, but other things uh, that, that we can start to normalize as these are things that commonly we see women doing, that would be just great for our work. Yeah. And, and you know what, it, what they, what we don't realize is how much that actually relieves um, the pastor. You know, and that when men and women are flourishing in their giftings, you know, we see like it, it, the spirit is, is at work and, and we're seeing it work together and um, enjoy it because that was the way he intended it to be. And, um, you know, there's, there's also, you know, on the flip side of things, a lot of conversations that I have with women that are, you know, frustrated around this or, and a lot of times it's our approach to this is like, well, obviously we say all the time in church that humility matters, but I would also say gentleness matters in this because, um, you know, forcing it, it, just take it, take out the women part and just say the way that we ever um, assume a position or assume a role 
is always to be invited into that, is not to demand it or command it, um, but to, uh, but approach that matters. And um, I see a lot of women make this mistake where they demand the seat of honor. And, you know, Luke 14 says, let the person in the higher place invite you right. to the higher place. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, and I, I've said this to a lot of our leadership, through patience, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle word breaks the bone. And like, it's, it is really important to like, I say, just memorize that verse, hold on to that verse. Like we've got to have patience with one another as we're working this out. There is a lot of tradition we're wading through and um, we're working it out. And so give grace to brothers, especially that are trying to do this and trying to like pray through, figure it out. Like we've got to be grace filled towards one another. That That is so good. That's so good. So helpful. You know, the, 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 this is true in both the race conversation and in incorporating sure. women in ministry, but that the, the, especially in a young church where staff positions are like gold, you know, we, yeah. we can't do that very much because we don't have a lot of resources. Um, even if the, even if totally pure motives, the heart's there to in, engage women meaningful in ministry and diversify the, the leadership or, or the leadership uh, component of the church to, uh, 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 racially, it, it's a complex algorithm who fits a role really good, you know? And, sure. And it, like, so it's not, it's not just as simple as we've got to find a, a lady to fill this role or, or we've got to find an African-American to fill this role. It, they, they still have to be the, they have to have the right gift mix and they have to have the right experience set and all, all that stuff. And so it's really, it's really a complex decision to make and that muddies it, makes it. And, and the thing you're saying about the way sometimes women have approached it or some women might be tempted to approach it with a little bit of hostility thinking that they're ruled out necessarily because of their gender uh is it really isn't helpful to the conversation yeah so that's right right and we are all moving to completion you know like we're not we're not there yet we're still learning and so all of us have space to say like hey i can there's going to be times that you say hey this is what i noticed i mean i've had that conversation with one of our um one of our exec pastors where, you know, he, it was not at, like a lot of times women will think, oh, I wasn't invited to that meeting because I'm a woman. It, a lot of times it was just that they didn't think about it. And so we have to give that space. And, and like, sometimes there's going to be times that you say, hey, and I've done that. Hey, you got to think about, you, you got to think about that. You got to invite her to that meeting because it's important, right. you know, and they go, oh, duh. Yeah. You know, and that's usually the response. And then the second thing is that we have to recognize that we're not always going to be right in our approach on this and God's working out things in us. And so just being slow to speak in this kind of thing and knowing like when you need to step back and pray, but when you need to like step up and say, you know, like, Hey, uh, this is what I noticed. Um, you know, and just be, just be kind. Uh, We have women in our ministry who kindly remind me, you know, of, (laughs) <laughs> calling short on this and they're so encouraging i'm I, I i as a leader who's you know i'm i'm thankful for that as somebody who has my my best interest at heart and the church's best interest at heart who's willing to say hey did you think about this 
uh, but doesn't get spun up if I say, yeah, I did think about it and here's the reasons why, why we didn't go that direction. Um, just, if, you know, anybody in general is helpful if they have that kind of attitude and approach, but I'm glad you brought that up because that's not normally part of this conversation. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so thanks for that. So um, going back again, thinking about church planning specifically and you, the role you guys have played in church planning has the, uh, a lot of times <laughs> I see church plants uh, when they want to multiply early, um, very commonly church churches that get started want to be multiplying in the first few years. It's true from my point of view, and I think statistically true that <laughs> churches that multiply early often multiply, uh, multiply often. Um, and it's important to kind of embed it in the early stage DNA of the church. Sure. Sorts of things. But um, are you guys doing any, anything? I mean, obviously you, what you just described was like a family of churches that's emerging and you've got the yep. in whatever churches because those churches are planting churches or planting churches. Yep. You're not planting every one of those churches. Um, wh what are you, what are you guys doing to foster that multiplication mindset? That culture. Yeah. So <clears throat> the one thing, and I, pro I promise that I do not just because I go to summit, I do not plug JD's books for like, you know, because <laughs> I'm supposed to, I actually love gaining by losing. And it's something that we actually have to go back to over and over as a staff. Like we're gonna, I think we're rereading it soon as a staff just to keep us in the mindset of open hands with our with our leaders, and you know that we have to be willing to, you know, lose our best to, for the kingdom of God, and that's hard. You know, I mean, it's it's it is it's really hard, and um, you know, it's something that we have to remind each other often. And I had to be reminded it last year when Mike McDaniel headed out to Denver to, you know, help the Heights Church out there. And, you know, they're out in Denver. It's actually pretty incredible. We're seeing, um, we're seeing uh, grand, we call them grandchildren, you know, because now the church plan out there is planted churches. And so I would say, you know, we have to check each other on when we're tightening our hands around our good leaders and call each other out when we're doing that. Um, and then the second thing, uh, so for us, we have an interns and apprentice program where we identify, you know, both future leaders that we say like, hey, like I've got my two guys right now on staff that are uh, incredible leaders, but they need a couple years. Yeah. And so go ahead and put that bug in their ear. Yeah. Say, I want you to be reading leadership material. I want like, I'm going to get this guy to disciple you. Like, I want you to be intentional. And you know, we just started up a future leaders cohort yeah. to actually go ahead and prime that pump in addition to, you know, the residency. But we're, we're having those conversations years out of like, hey, we really want you to intentionally be praying. You and your wife be intentionally praying about this. And, um, and you know, back to that whole, because they can get, you know, say, right, if we're gaining by losing, if we're sending our best. Well, sometimes that leaves us with a little bit of, uh, you know, people that we still have to work on, right? And so um, that's like be letting leaders make mistakes so they can learn from them. You know, I looked at a guy that was in our residency interview the other day. I was like, you need to go leave from here and go have some conflict. And I was like, because you're going to need to know how to have healthy conflict because you're going to encounter that on staff. And so conflict isn't a bad thing. It's just how you handle it. And so go, you know, go have, they were brand new, newlyweds, 
I said, you guys got to get, com- you got to get, got to have some conflict. So you, you'll know what to do when you have this on your church plant. <laughs> I don't, I don't know if you have this experience. My guess is that you do because I have it on a, on a, the scale, our scale here, but I, I get a lot of contact from people that want, basically it goes like, um, Hey man, I really want to multiply our church. Uh, but I just don't have anybody here to send. Do you have a guy? <laughs> you have a you have a person I can send. And I, I always I try not to get snarky when people ask that, but I'm like, you know, to me it feels a little like somebody calling and asking for one of my kids. You know, I just feel like eh, like have your own kids. You know, I mean, yeah. Uh, so I, I don't want to be that guy that's a jerk and snarky, and I don't want to hold our people too tightly either, but I just honestly feel like it's better when we birth people from within and send them yep. direct yep. rather than sort of transporting them to something else. Now, there are a lot of like proverbial orphans out there that are developed by some hodgepodge of discipleship, and they, they want to head into ministry. Their church isn't ready to send them. Uh, and them fitting into our systems and, and, and getting sent from us is great. But, but I talked to the church uh, that isn't do, doesn't have that development pipeline like you, you guys have and has been built for over so many years. You guys are talking about future leaders and internships and apprenticeships and all that stuff mm-hmm. is making a deep bench of leadership for you so that you're always got bullets to put in the gun when you're ready to, uh, ready to go. Yeah. So what about yeah. the church that's not doing that? And they're just uh, expecting to be able to go to go to sort of the church planner store and pick up one. Yeah, that's, that is a lot of churches that I talk to and, um, and you, you have to put the onus back on them. You know, you have to put that ownership back on them. And uh, I loved, uh, I read recently uh, Michael Fletcher's empowering leadership Mm -hmm. and it was talking about, you know, that we have got to look around and that does not mean that they're ready to go plant a church today. It doesn't, but we have got to look in our own midst and trust, and it's got to be preceded by a ton of prayer. You know, that's like, people are surprised. Like one of the first things I tell people is I'm like, oh, you want to start a church planning residency? First thing you ought to do is go fast and pray. Go fast for 21 days and ask the Lord to show you who needs to be a part of that. And, you know, it's amazing to watch people come back and say like, oh, I think I've got this guy, you know? And that's usually, the thing. I think I got this guy. And it like, not to discourage if it's not happening right now, but like, hey, be willing and dive, dive deep, but also expect much of God. Yeah. Usually it's a belief issue. When I start digging down, it's a lack of belief that God has a someone there that he is able to, you know, do this from the own church. I'll give you an example. A lot of times people say, well, my lead pastor is not on board, you know, and it's the missions pastor that really fills us. And my lead pastor, it was actually our highest attended class um, at our highest attended um, breakout at our, at a recent missions conference out of that is the class that said, what happens when a lead pastor is not on board? It was the highest attended one. And so, you know, it's helping people get out of the mindset that it has to only happen through the lead pastor. And that we have roles as mission leaders to be influencing our worship leaders, our small group leaders. Like I I say it all the time. Hey, sending is not a department of the church. It is not just my role and it's not my team's role. It is every single person on our staff is a sender. And so we should be able to tap any one of our staff members 
and tell them to go on stage and give an announcement about sending. And they ought to be ready to do that. And so if you have that mentality, that come and die mentality, and that's got to stay at the forefront of our sermons, of our, um, you know, of our, what we're talking about in worship, what we're talking about, our video testimonials, you know, anything when we're doing, we got to put people up on stage and commission them from the stage. People need to see, yeah. man, I could do this too. I was in the workplace and I, I, I was, I wasn't seminary trained. I wasn't, um, you know, I really felt like I was very unqualified to, uh, and I saw this like guy from country Durham get up on stage and get commissioned out. And I was like, man, I love that guy. I was like, and I know that guy, if he could do this, I could do this too. And so it was just very simple, like put people out in front and let people know, like I could, is that, and then make the ask, is that you, are you the one that should be thinking about going? Yeah, I think that can, uh, you just are reminding me that almost every time we've had somebody in our congregation say, I believe God might be calling you to the mission field or to plant a church or something like that, it, uh, it, it, they commonly point back to a story in our church where they saw somebody else do that. And Absolutely. That's, that's very commonly their inspiration. And so if you're a church that hasn't ever been able to do that, um, then get you know getting those first wins into your belt are the hardest ones but for sure once you do that the pump pump is primed a little bit I think you have to you know in order to be able to send people you have to be really wildly optimistic about potential in in people you have to be able to imagine yeah this person is who they are right now uh but I I saw what the Lord did in my life and I saw what he's he's done with others and then in a good culture, God can really do something amazing and transfer transform this person. But sometimes you have to be able to notice in those raw materials something that is full of potential. So yep. what are those things that when you you just mentioned, there's two guys around here that, man, they have a lot of potential. What are those things that are popping in your mind when you see that very raw version of, of potential? Yeah, absolutely. So it's a, a number one disciple maker, like that they are living intentional lives. It's not just like handed ministry to them. They are taking ownership and they're like getting out there and they're multiplying Mm -hmm. and they, and they have a passion behind that. Um, And not just in evangelism, though, I think that's a huge part, but actually walking with people uh, post belief, you know, that they, that they walk with people that they're and but that they're also strategic Mm -hmm. about the way you'll watch them. They'll come. And ask leaders at the church, like, how, how do you feel like I should be doing this? They're question askers yeah. um, and, and not assuming, you know, we do a, um, in our residency, we do a, a whole day on, or actually it's a couple of days on self-awareness. And so it's really pushing back on people being self-aware um, of their, of their giftings and just asking questions. You know, I think that when a guy says, you know, I think I'm called, you know, to ministry, full-time ministry. He automatically thinks, well, I should guess I'm going to pastor a church. And I'm like, but is that really your role? Like, I mean, it's like all the time, it's not everybody. And, but we have to be willing to step back and look around at who is multiplying already without needing a whole lot of prodding to do so. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, they're zealous for the word of the Lord. They're zealous to see um, people grow up in the faith and they're naturally being that Paul to Timothy. I mean, even at 21 years old, we see it. College ministry, college schools us all, okay? College, 
and in fact, I had a bunch of college students over Friday night. And the one thing I told them, I was like, hey, you guys are seeing like very fast fruit. And you need to know that a lot of you, when you go in the workplace, you got to be willing to walk with people in unbelief for a long time sometimes. And it's not always going to happen right up front. But they're so eager. And that's a trait that I see a lot of times is that eager, that humility, um, and that disciple making that they're already doing it. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really helpful. Um, we got to wrap up our time, but let me ask you one more thing before we do that. Um, so this is, uh, I'm, I'm looking at, I say historically, this is in a very deep history, but say a couple generations before us, um, uh, it is certainly in this, in the Southern Baptist space in Southern sure. Baptist life. Uh, most of our churches, if we were to go back and research and understand, I say most, many of our churches, we go back and understand the history, uh, were the initiatives that led to our church's existence, unless it were a split or something like that, were often started, led by women, uh, women that were out there starting Sunday schools in neighborhoods or VBSs in, in communities, and they were doing ministry, and out of that ministry emerged a church they never sought to be a pastor. They never sought to yeah. kind of be the front person on that. But the, very squarely, that church wouldn't exist if that woman or a group of women hadn't set out and done that. And I feel like in in our church planting work, we professionalized, you know, the church planting process so much and institutionalized that there's a whole infrastructure and like a uh, an industry around it now. You know, I, I feel like uh, in some ways, we really, really benefit from going back to those those uh, places where we were out doing ministry in communities, and when ministry starts to to work and uh, God's people start to, you know, come together, a church starts to get formed. I ha- have you? I know on the mission field, you ha- guys have to be doing some stuff like this. Thirty five. Uh, you said thirty five percent of your uh, mm-hmm. uh, mission forces uh, single females, so they're initiating church plants. Uh, but yeah not as church planners. Are are you seeing any of that in North America or is there, is there anything that even is close to that? Or do you think we should be heading that direction anyway? Well, I definitely think we have more work to do in this, but I do see, you know, really um, a lot of times, a lot of our planters that are going out have strong women in their life that um, not only, you know, pray for uh, the harvest but they actually will point out the giftings in that planter and in that and they'll point out the lostness in the city you know and they'll say we have to be engaging this we have to be doing this and um they're they're already kind of naturally doing that usually like we saw a small group go and plant together and it was a lot of single women that went with the church plant um, to went to uh, Greensboro, and it was awesome. You know, when they when they planted out, it was their whole small group that went, and it these women were already naturally speaking prophetically in these guys' lives of like, hey, I think that we have a um, we have a, a, a an opportunity here, and we need to be intentional about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, I think that I see with um, women in this space it's a lot of women who fully believe that they have not been um withheld from you know god does not withhold good gifts from those who walk uprightly 
and that we have fullness of joy. They are experiencing the fullness of joy of the kingdom coming. Like they're seeing God build his house and they're just pointing out to other brothers and sisters, hey, look what God's doing. Like, and then they get really convicted about a place that he's that that we don't see a lot of fruit. We say we got to go to those places. We got to go to those places and be intentional to create worship where Christ is not worshipped because he's worthy of it. Yeah. Wow. Uh, Lori, thank you. Uh, I I hope you and your kind and your tribe are multiplied many times over in uh, in church planning work. I think we are far more likely to be wildly fruitful if we've got um, a lot more folks like you in the kingdom. So thank you so much for what you're doing. For sure. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I know that there's a, uh, you know, you're, in some ways you're a trailblazer on this and I just re really appreciate you. And I hope that um, this conversation inspires a, a lot of other, a lot of other women. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Clint. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you. All right. Michael Crawford's new book called Don't Plant, Be Planted, Contrarian Observations About Starting a Church is out now. You can find it anywhere books are sold. And if you pick it up, you should be prepared to hear some sound and hard advice from an experienced church planter about the joys and sorrows and victories and defeats that come with this huge task of planting a new church. Now, Mike Crawford is a veteran. He's a practitioner. He's been out there planting a church in a hard city called Baltimore, Maryland and uh, he's gotten the church started it's thriving and it's multiplied and you need to read this book he um, shares some very direct and heartfelt um, observations about church planting in a no holds barred kind of way it's short read it's an easy read i encourage you to pick it up it's called don't plant be planted and you can find it anywhere books are sold Thank you for listening to the Church Planning Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on your favorite podcast app. Today's episode of the Church Planting Podcast is sponsored by New City Network, the church planting ministry of McLean Bible. A special thanks to today's guest, Josh Taransky produced today's show. Nick Bashane was our editor. Thanks to Hudson Taransky, who provided administrative and web support for the program. And last... But not least, thanks to you for listening all the way through to the very end of the Church Planting Podcast. If you'd like more information about our show, feel free to visit our website at www.churchplantingpodcast.org. There you can find all of our past episodes, as well as notes and links from today's show. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so be sure to check us out on the social. And tune in next week for another episode of the Church Planting Podcast.